Yeah, did I tell you I bought a cape for my mini-money, which is what they're calling, you know, a smaller ceremony before a big wedding now? You did not. Yeah, I bought, I thought my, like, sale jumpsuit from David's Bridal just didn't have the flair that I was looking for, so I bought a cape off of Etsy that is being custom-made. So to combat not on the flare, you went with a custom cape. Custom floor-length cape in gold with stars. Floor-length? Yeah. So you're just like full Elsa on Broadway. Oh, yeah. Cape with a jumpsuit. I had a Halloween costume as a child that was Barbie superhero, and it had a cape. And I think I have spent my entire life trying to recreate that one Halloween costume. With a jumpsuit and cape, and I think getting married is like the perfect opportunity to do it. That is the most you thing I have ever heard. (laughs) But I hope you feel like Barbie in your jumpsuit and your cape. This is the second pre-show in a row now that we're going to do, or maybe it's not, maybe it's the third or fourth now that we're doing (laughs) about your, your forthcoming wedding. Yeah. And I'm really wondering how many more of these we do before we spin off a second show. It's just the two of us talking about your wedding plans. Before we get into this, Colton, I have a follow-up from our water scroll episode. Ooh, what's that? Yeah, so we had a listener write to us and wanted to know our stance on something. She asked if we believe that the the White Lotus Pie Show tile was ever truly lost, or if this was Uncle's distraction for if this was Iroh's distraction for Zuko. She started to question the integrity of the losing of the tile. So she wanted to know our thoughts on that. That is a good question. Yeah, it is. I never I never considered the possibility that just Iroh manufactured the whole thing to teach Zuko a lesson. But that is such an Iroh thing to do. I mean, I could, I could see it if, um, I mean, he just had a really, you know, tough, battle and with he'd had that Agni Kai he's had some tough run-ins with the Avatar and uh, I mean especially they were they entered the Fire Nation for the first time since the banishment maybe Uncle wants to maybe Uncle Iroh wants to give him some space and give him some distance from this path that he sees as kind of self-destructive yeah yeah or maybe for whatever reason like Iroh was better able to gauge where Team Avatar was headed and knew that by going to the port city, they would have a better chance of catching up with them. I don't know about that one. I think if anything, he would try and give, he'd care more about Zuko and Zuko's kind of well-being before, you know, actually chasing down the Avatar. You know what I mean? Right. I'm I'm not saying that he wasn't considering Zuko's well-being. I'm saying like, you know, if... If he determined Zuko, in fact, to be okay mm-hmm. and, you know, ready to chase down the Avatar and, you know, not that he f- wholly supports the quest, but, you know, he also kind of does a- at least a bit. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't think Iroh necessarily is as invested in capturing the Avatar. We ha- I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe this is his start of trying to, you know, say I don't necessarily think that capturing the Avatar is the right path for you, but what I think doesn't matter. 
you think it is. I was just trying to make him happy. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe he thinks he can reach Zuko better after they capture Aang. Okay. All right. Interesting. It was a really good question, though. Or maybe he genuinely forgot the tile was in his sleeve. Maybe he just genuinely lost it up his sleeve. I thought this was an interesting question, though, and so I thought I'd put it, because neither of us really had that thought at the time, so it was really cool to hear an outside perspective on that. Yeah, I think it's, because it's Iroh, it's, like, fundamentally unknowable. That is a fair assessment, Colton. But the option's there, and we may not have considered the option, <laughs> but that's my new headcanon. Like, I am <laughs> so on board. I'm adopting that in future ep- times when I go to watch that episode. It's like, yeah, he's he knows where it is the whole time. <laughs> I know it makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, which I probably will at some point. But uh, thank you, listener. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Water, earth, fire, air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello and welcome to the Pi Show with your hosts. I'm Colton and I'm Kelly. And this week we are talking about book 1 chapter 11 The Great Divide. Eh. In this episode, arriving at a giant gorge, Aang and his friends encounter two feuding refugee groups fighting over the right to cross the abyss. Colton, The Great Divide marks us as halfway through the first season. It divides the season. It does. That hurt you, didn't it? <laughs> did. It did. I could hear it in your voice. I know. I also, I think this is a pretty cool milestone for us. We're halfway through season one. Ah! Ah! <laughs> Yay! Almost there. Almost there. <laughs> Two and a half books left to go. I meant almost to like the end of season one, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I really like the end of season one. It's a really good end. Yeah. But this is, this is. It doesn't feel like the turning point. You know what I mean? And I don't think, that, like, the Great Divide episode, it doesn't feel like halfway through. It doesn't feel like a turning point. In what way? It doesn't feel so much as, like, a turning of the tide of, like, you know, the whole recap, because, yes, I rewatch the recaps every time, is about, you know, it, it gives you the whole, hey, the comet's on the way. Oh, my gosh, you know, this is, this is the timeline. You have to master all the elements. We're going to the North Pole. It gives you all that major recap. And I don't feel like a tone shift besides that recap. That recap is the big thing. But I don't feel the sense of urgency as much. Um, I don't feel the pressure of that coming on yet. And I know we had the pressure of it in the water scroll. Um, And maybe we're seeing kind of the turning of the tide in the war between the Fire Nation and the rest of the world in jet a little bit. But I'm not seeing a push in this episode, a push forward as much. And so I'm wondering how I'll feel at the next episode and see if I feel like, ah, yes, we're moving towards we're moving towards the second half of this season. 
you know? I get where you're coming from. I have a question for you that might change your mind a little bit. But I think before we, you know, open up that conversation, let's uh, let's just like talk about the episode more in like a general sense. Because I know you're not a big fan of this episode. And I know you've you've mentioned that this episode was maybe not the best received. It was the worst received. <laughs> yeah, and you're plugged in more, I think, to the Avatar fan base. You know, you've been watching the show for... I've been a part of it since its very beginning. Yeah, yeah. for 15 years, and, and I'm the newcomer here, so, you know... True. Let's... Let's maybe talk about it a bit more before I try to convince you that it might be a little bit better than I think okay. you're giving it credit. Okay, that's fair. So let's get into this episode. I do have something I really liked about this episode. What did you like? I really liked the intro music to this episode. It sounded really different from everything else I've heard. And now you've got me plugged into listening to the music and listening for music a bit more that I was like, this does not sound familiar. And I have watched like a whole, I mean, I've watched the series so many times that the the major themes and a lot of those musics, a lot of those um, music samplings are so familiar and ingrained in me that I'm like, oh yeah, it's just a part, it's just a part of the background. The intro music to this episode was not familiar. And that's probably because I haven't rewatched this episode in a long time. <laughs> but it was really good and I really enjoyed it. Well, I do think it kind of stands out from a lot of the rest of the themes that we've heard so far on the show i mean this this yes. intro track it's so like light and bouncy it feels it's jaunty it's john ja- it feels like just a dude walking down the street like a minstrel like you know playing a little walking song yes yes it does are you alluding to secret tunnel <laughs> i'm totally alluding to secret tunnel it sounds like the secret tunnel like i literally took the note let me <laughs> what did i write exactly uh intro sounds like secret tunnel <laughs> and maybe it's the fact that i have not rewatched this episode in so long that for me it didn't necessarily sound like it because it was so uh out of context for me mm. i don't know but i really enjoyed it that was that was the highlight for me so far did you notice that little bit of fire nation theme that plays when Katara and Sokka start, like, really arguing. Yes! It just creeps in underneath there. Just like, bum, bum, bum. And it's just like, oh, they're going at it! <laughs> On their first big argument about the tarps? Yeah, yeah. Is that it? Like, right, like they're, they start to go at it. The Fire Nation theme creeps in a little bit. And then Aang shows up and splits them. And the music just gets soft. It gets soft and open and airy. So there was the music where there's a great divide in the music, but also there is Sokka on one side, Katara on the other. Behind them is a big rock structure on either side, like column-esque rock structure behind each of them. And there's a big space in between, and in between that space, in between that great divide is Aang. Like, it was, it was very on the nose. And I think this is one of the first episodes where I was reminded that this is a children's show. Aang pushes them to the same size of the screen as they end up splitting later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. It's like, nail, head, hello. Yes. Yes. 
very uh, kind of after-school special-esque, especially... What does Aang say? Harsh words won't solve problems. Action will, like... Well, way later in the episode, Katara actually says to um, the like the old man leader guy, like, I guess it's okay if everyone's doing it. Oh my god, yes, yes. It felt... I, I got the after-school special vibe. That line, I think, just... That might be the worst line we've had in the show. It completely <laughs> broke it for me. <laughs> and I'm thinking... I'm thinking maybe when this came out in 2005 that I did not have as strong a reaction to this. Although I d- I I very much was raised in an anti like after school special household. Like my family didn't watch Full House; they thought it was too sappy. Like that's where we're at with the you know level of emotion on those. So yeah, it, 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 but it wasn't it wasn't. It, it wasn't what I feel today, 15 years later. I have only ever watched this episode after going through D.A.R.E. education, so <laughs> it all felt very familiar to me. <laughs> Kelly, I have a question. Yes, Colton? Where are these tribes from? Earth Nation. But they're not wearing green. Um, so some of the clothes that the, oh, who are the fancy ones? The Ganjin? Or is it the Zhang? The Ganjin were, like, the ones in, like, I guess it was supposed to be silk? Yeah, so the robes are very similar to the upper class of Ba Sing Se. Um, and it's kind of the trim is, is an earth tone, the trim to it, but... It's a show that up the yellow. It's a yellow and it's a it's a taupe in some places. But um, yeah, so those are those are Earth Nation. Um, And if you look for reference at some of specifically um, the upper class bossing, say upper class um, Toph, um, when we eventually meet that character, her her silk outfits. Um, and her parents and stuff it's it those those are earth nation and then same for the uh the other tribe is that they're also earth nation so they're all earth nation but no benders well there there have to be no earth benders because this is they need an earth bender to cross the canyon and they have the canyon guide who his design looks very familiar to me, but I can't put my finger on it of who he looks like. But he looks like another character later on. I can't think of another character later on. I do remember the first time I watched this thinking, you look familiar. Oh, I looked it up. <laughs> His name is Leonard Stone. It is not who I thought it was. And he was in Willy Wonka. He played Mr. Beauregard. Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet. Yes, not at all who I thought it was. No. <laughs> but that was fun. That was really fun to learn. I do like how the the canyon guide is, you know, he's the earthbender who's going to get everyone across, but he's kind of not the best bender, maybe. Oh, my God. He's the worst. I, okay, he breaks his arms and then, oh, no, I can't bend anymore. We have shown Every other character bending with their whole body. I'm pretty sure we've seen each element be able to be bended with your legs. Have we seen water bending with the legs yet? 
I don't think so. Have we? All right, maybe we haven't seen water yet. We have seen yes. Earth. But I like this. I like this about him. Tell me why. Because it builds out the world. Okay. Not every bender can bend with their entire body, which means the benders that can have a bit of an advantage. They're maybe a little more skilled or practiced or disciplined. But, you know, it's bending is not some monolithic can or cannot do it. There's there's gradation in there. There's personal ability in there. I would just hope that if you're saving refugees going through this canyon, like very routinely, that you would have these skills, you know, but maybe he's just so set in his ways of the ways that he the way that he does things that he never tries. He never has time to practice. He never has time to do something different. He's just, you know, creating that wall, closing that wall every time. Yeah, he has enough for what he's doing, and, you know... That's all he needs. Who are we to say that he needs more? Yeah, maybe he doesn't want to learn more bending. I don't know. I think we're pretty there to say that he needs more, seeing as, like, both arms gone, he's out of the running. (laughs) I mean, from a survivalist standpoint, it's not great, but I'm not here to judge the guy on it. He doesn't exactly look like a young man. He's made it pretty far with what he's got. That's not to say that he can't do more, but... I don't think it's been entirely unsuccessful for him to have avoided those things for so long. Cute am alert. Not this week. Those things are not cute. (laughs) This week, the canyon crawlers. Oh my God. Those things are, those things are nightmare worthy. They're really creepy. They got a lot of legs. Too many legs. Too many eyes. Too many eyes. So many eyes. The legs would be fine if it weren't for the eyes. The snout teeth thing going on? Yeah. What? I I don't, I don't. What are they a mixture of? That's what, you know, because we've seen a lot of, like, combinations creating these. uh, It's like a mosquito horse, but the teeth aren't right. Yeah, it's just, it's just too big and too oh. many eyes, and I just... Wait, wait, wait. A canyon crawler resembles a mix of a crocodile and a spider. It has four eyes on either side of its face and a forked tongue and a sharp-toothed jaw. Neither of those animals are that big. I don't know. I think crocodiles are pretty big. Crocs are pretty big. You can't get multiple people riding a single croc. If a croc is like 14, 16 feet long with the tail, that's a big croc. I watched Steve Irwin growing up. I know my crocs. I know my croc sizes. How big is the biggest crocodile? I'm pretty sure his big croc, Monty, was like 16, maybe 18 feet. How big is the biggest crocodile? 20.24 feet. But that is the biggest. Like, the biggest human is, like, 8 feet. But humans are not. Like, so... The largest in captivity was 17 feet. So, they can get pretty big. Yeah. They can get pretty big. But the canyon crawlers are bigger. They're, They're taller because of the legs. They're longer. Are they longer, too? They can fit, like, one, two people. They look longer. How tall is Aang? How many Aangs could you say, head to toe? How tall is Aang? I say they were, like, four. Those things were, like, four Aangs long. Four Aangs long. How tall? 
saying? I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this up. In season one, from first appearance, he is four six because he's a child. Yeah, I was like, that's that's saying is short. Yeah, he is. He's a child, and he grow he grows taller. Um, he grows much closer in height to Katara, who's a little over five feet. Okay, pretty sure. So let me see. There's another discussion about Aang's height. So he's probably still pretty close to four and a half feet. Yeah. So about four and a half feet. So if you said it, the thing is about three angs long, that is 12 to 15 feet. Yeah. So All right, fine. It's croc sized. <laughs> I think the thing that throws you off is the le- is the legs because the legs are making it tall, too. I think it's less the legs and, and more the like the spider torso because like it's a very round torso. Yeah. And like. A 15-foot, mostly flat crocodile is very different from, like, a 15-foot, very round tube that we call the canyon crawler. So, according to the wiki, it says, The creators stated that the canyon crawlers were the product of an experiment to see how crazy they could make the hybrid animals. I'm so glad we decided to talk about this. Uh, reportedly, they asked if anyone could make a cross between a crocodile and a spider because they could not visualize such a hybrid. One animator produced a drawing, and that design turned into the canyon crawler. I don't like that animator. I absolutely love that animator, and I absolutely love that, like, how it came to fruition of, like, all right, so, like, what's the most outlandish animals we can, like, put together? I don't know, small spider, giant crocodile, any, like... You know, and then an animator's imagination came up with this monstrosity. And I think that's beautiful. I think I'm going to have trouble sleeping tonight. <laughs> I think it's absolutely beautiful. I, I like another thing about the canyon crawlers that I find interesting is their uh, need for food and the scavengers. And that you can't take any food into the canyon because they will attack for the food. That's really cool. That's the that's honestly the big threat of this episode. They're not worried about the Fire Nation finding them or chasing them because they're refugees. They're trying to get through this canyon without this creature like mauling them. Yeah, this entire episode exists outside of like the war. This would happen if there were no war. Well, I don't know about that because they're refugees. Okay, they fair. are fleeing. But... They are fleeing from you know war. <laughs> fair, but. Like the Fire Nation doesn't, we don't see them at all. No, and we're not we're not concerned about them following. We're not concerned about them getting caught. Like we're we're not concerned at all. I mean, I think in other situations it would not have been a good idea to put the weakest on Appa because Appa, as Sokka has said, is a huge beacon of Avatar here, and you know, <laughs> yeah, huge target on their back. Probably wouldn't be a good idea in any other context, but for here. It's pretty isolated from the situation that's going on. They can have that moment of uh, emotional space, which is really interesting that you talk about, you know, it can be out of context of that. It's mentioned that this is one of the few episodes that does not occur on a previously on Avatar. So this does not come up in it, it, it does not warrant coming up in a recap going forward there are a few other episodes like that and i'll point them out when they come please do but uh we did learn something new about appa this week 
Yes. He has five stomachs. He does. How many do you have? I have one stomach, I think. Amateur. Yeah, so apparently sky bison are ruminant. What does ruminant mean? Ruminant uh, refers to mammals that have multi- have multi-chambered stomachs. Um, sometimes they're described as having multiple stomachs. Like, don't cows? Uh, cows, goats, sheep. Bison? Bison are ruminant. Bison. How many stomachs do bison have? Uh, I believe... Like cows, they have a four-chambered stomach. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um. It's it helps with digestion of certain plant matter. Um. And also, it holds gizzard stones. Ooh. Yeah. So, like, certain animals actually like will eat certain small rocks to sit in their stomach and basically muddle and act as like mortar and pestle on food. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. See? And we learned this because of the cute animal alerts. Yeah. Yeah. And they, like, chew with their stomach with these rocks. That's cool. My God. Imagine what kind of size stones that Appa would need. Because Appa's so big and has five stomachs. I bet he's really a fan of stone soup. I bet. So, yeah. Five stomachs is more than uh, ruminant mammals in our world. But it's really not that out of the question as far as, like, science. Like, mm-hmm. it's just one extra. This was a really interesting episode for Momo and Appa's relationship, in my mind, as well. They seemed, like, they got into a fight, Momo and Appa. So we're setting up Momo and Appa as, like, odd rival friends? I don't know. I thought it was a really interesting dynamic for their relationship to have them fight over food. I see them kind of as brothers. Okay, I like that. I feel like they have a sibling relationship. I like that. Well, I mean, especially we see the siblings fighting. We see a lot of siblings fighting this episode. So that that works. I like that. There's one more animal that I need to discuss, which is when Aang tells his fantastical story about, oh, yeah, no, these two eight-year-olds who were fighting over a, a game. The referee is a panda. It's a panda referee. Is it any panda? Or are you about to tell me that's hey, bye? I don't... Okay, so... Just hey by Moonlight as a redemption referee? That would be really funny. I wonder if they picked a panda because of, like, the black and white and how a lot of referees wear black and white striped shirts. Like, I'm thinking that might be some of the thinking. I think so. So, but yeah, I thought that was just really, like, funny and out there. I think also, like, so it doesn't have to explicitly be a person. That way, like, the flashback can exist outside of the reality of... The rest of the show. Yeah, and they do that with the animation of the other flashbacks, too. But yeah, I really liked the referee panda. I'm going to give the cute animal award. Still CAA. Cute animal award to panda ref. I like how we've had, like, what, four different distinct animation styles in this episode? It was a lot. (laughs) Which means five over the last two weeks. Honestly, with this episode, it made it feel divided that there was different epi- that there was different animation style. That hurt you so much. I could see it. Yeah, yeah, it did hurt me to say that, but I I think just because we get division in so many different ways, that at some point I'm like, okay, okay, I get it. Okay. So you're giving it to the panda. Panda ref. And I think I'm gonna give it to Appa. I know I say he gets it every week, but 
you know. That's grown on you. He has multiple stomachs. I get it. <laughs> he gets one award for each stomach. <laughs> so we have these two tribes. And they've been fighting for a hundred years. Do you think the fact the fight's been going on for a hundred years is supposed to, like, commentary, supposed to clue us into the fact that had Aang not been in the iceberg, this fight would have been dealt with probably by him when it wasn't as bad a hundred years ago? I don't know, because I don't think we ever truly learn what happened to cause this feud. And at the beginning, it seems it was just a disagreement between two brothers. And I don't know about you, but I don't know if that small sibling disagreement, while yes, it blew up, I don't know if it would have been big enough to involve the Avatar, if that makes sense. Because it doesn't seem like the two were warring. It seems like they just didn't like each other and lived on other sides of the forest. Or, you know, they talk about the, the different gates at different ends, different directions. They lived in different areas. They stayed separate. But we don't hear much about warring. It's more feuding. It's more, you know, I don't trust them because they're a Ganjin. Like, right. But I think the episode also takes steps to, to demonstrate how you don't necessarily have to be at war for there to be a feud and imbalance that is destructive to both groups. That's true. That's true. And how those little things can kind of blow up over time. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, in this in this world that we have. The idea of balance is like so central to the world at you know in general like it's the avatar's job to maintain balance they take someone from society and they elevate them to protect this idea that maybe this feud would have been something the avatar might have taken care of if you have a society that's willing to elevate someone as an individual to sort of stand on the outside and and be the balance between everyone that society probably understands that these feuds are you know a nascent state of imbalance they also potentially could have had someone to go to to reconcile the feud yeah you know what i mean um, they they could have gone to the avatar and be like, you know, can you punish him for his particular action, whether it's stealing the sacred orb or you know knocking someone down, like what or, or imprisoning someone? They would have had a higher authority in the avatar that both sides trusted that they could have gone to. So I could see that, yeah. And I think this is this is one of the first times that we test. Aang's peacekeeping abilities. I think it is the first time we test Aang's peacekeeping abilities. It is the first time. Yeah, it is. He can... It, the other episodes, he's fight, He's fighting a war, but this is what would you do during peace? This is not necessarily a fight against the Fire Nation. This is an internal struggle among non-benders, so there's no physical fighting that you're having to contend with. You're having to contend with a difference of opinion. Yeah. And how can you get two sets of people who are very different to get along and get behind a common cause? And not only that, you're having to contend with not only 
a difference of opinion with the other person, you're having to contend with the fact that no matter what you do, the other person does not understand your opinion. What do you mean? Elaborate. Well, the the Zhang leader says to Sokka that, you know, the others, they probably figured that we would bring food, and so they would probably brought some of their own, so that's why we brought ours. Not because we disagree with them, but because they see us in this bad light and there's nothing we can do to stop that. I will say that moment of the, well, they th- they would have thought that we thought that we did, that we, that moment, as convoluted and dumb as that is, that was the most realistic moment in this episode for me because I could see people doing that in real life. I mean, we see people doing that in real life. But that was that was a moment that hit home for me. I will gi- I will give this episode that that was a moment that hit home for me where they're like, well, they're not going to, you know, I I don't think they're going to going to do it. And they thought that we weren't going to do it. And that's why they did it. Yeah. If you're going to assume that I'm going to do the wrong thing and react accordingly, regardless of what I do, I'm not incentivized to do the right thing. Mm hmm. Just just a little too real in, in today's climate. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, no, this reminds me too much of 2020. (laughs) We don't get escapism this week. No, no. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I think I, I, you know, you're going to you're going to have me giving. Thank you for asking that, because I will give credit for that, is that that was a very realistic moment, which is needed. This episode is more human than fantastical is what i've noticed i think you're understandably harsh on this episode given the quality of the entire rest of the series or at least the majority rest of the series and the disparity i think between like the super tight serialized nature of the rest of the show and the fact that this episode does stand out a bit and doesn't necessarily come back in a super direct way going forward but i do think you're a little harsh on this episode because i think this episode does come back and i think this episode is very important to one character in particular i think this is in season one one of the most important episodes for ang's journey okay go on the entire previously on Avatar section. Not only did it catch us up on the main events of the show, that honestly it didn't continue that plotline as much, but kind of like we talked about last week where it recontextualized the show to highlight Katara's mindset at the out at the outset of the episode, I think this week we got a little bit of recontextualization to highlight Aang's mindset. And yeah, he has a lot of pressure on him right now, but he also has experienced tremendous success in his life. And especially recently, and honestly, I think he's a little arrogant because of it. He's the youngest airbending master. That we know of. That we know of. Yeah, he, you know, spent a century in an iceberg, but he hasn't really had a defeat yet. He has a he has a ticking clock over his head, but, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, he learned some basic waterbending like it was nothing, and he learned it so quickly, he outpaced his own teacher 
in less than a day. And when the episode opens up, you know, we have this argument between Katara and Sokka. We have another argument between Appa and Momo. And he solves both of them in a couple seconds. Doesn't take much effort from him, so it seems. He lampshades the whole thing as saying, you know, conflict resolution or whatever. He says, all in the day's work for the Avatar. Like, it's no big deal, whatever. I think that this episode is a bit of a reality check for him. I think this episode is him learning that, you know, yeah, I've had these successes. Yeah, I've, you know, had to do some work. But this is him really learning about how little he knows in some areas. He doesn't have the tools to fix this fight. He doesn't have the tools to fix the fight until they're already past the danger. And even then, he has to lie to do it. That's not a strong fix. And I think he knows that. I mean, pretty bold lie, because he's like, no, I was around 100 years ago. You know anyone else who was around 100 years ago who could refute that? Which, like, if they ever talk to King Boomy, like, that just <laughs> falls to pieces. Well, they're going to Oma- to uh, Ba Sing Se, not Omashu. So I think they're fine. <laughs> okay. Got some better context. I had a thought when you were talking about that, too, is I feel like Aang's journey through this episode of frustration is very similar to ours because we get that recap. We know there's the ticking clock. Aang knows there's the ticking clock. And these people are fighting about something that they don't even know what they're fighting about. There's nothing actively harming each other besides the fact that besides their own um like presumptions about the other group that is the only other thing that's harming each other the fire nation is going to burn this world to the ground they are both refugees from the fire nation there are these gigantic canyon crawler things that just crush that earthbender's arms and is are you know intense like matches for these very skilled benders and you're gonna fight about something as trivial as this like you can't put aside that small difference and i think that's kind of where maybe some of the fan frustration is sometimes is it's not so much a uh i think there are definitely parts of the parts of the episode that uh you know, some of the other criticism of the episode is is different than that. But the, but this this for me, maybe there's an underlying frustration that we're feeling with Aang that kind of feeds into it that makes our other criticisms a bit harsher. So you helped me you helped me understand that a bit more. I'm gonna go even further. You know, we you're saying right now, can't they put aside this like this small difference? To them, it's not a small difference. To them, this is a big thing. This is a core problem. It's a core disconnect between their fundamental belief systems. This is as big as it gets for them. Yeah, this is what they've been told since birth. But aside from that, like they're both under the impression that this problem between the two of them is like a fundamental difference about their beliefs in society. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, this sacred ritual or... The 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 Zhang look pretty nomadic. Like this is the freedom of one of the members of their tribe. That's 
big. That's not just that's not just oh we don't like you and we haven't liked you for a hundred years. That's you are the diametric opposite of what we believe in. Yeah. And if I agree with you, I compromise who I am. But I think, you know, Aang's frustration is, all right, common goal doesn't doesn't pull you guys together. Common enemy doesn't pull you guys together. Common fear, like, what is going to crack it? And he ends up lying. <laughs> he ends up just lying. And I think, so some of the criticisms that I have heard from the fandom about this episode uh, are that you know, it's, it's slow, that it's, it's slow. Not much happens to the, uh, course of the, the gang's journey as, as a whole that, um, I mean, the breaking your arms takes away your bending. That does not fit with the rest of the context of the world. Uh, it, from what we've seen and what we will see so far. Um, oh, I see some of the other ones. Aang's deus ex machina of oh yeah they they uh they were they were children like the the whole why it doesn't really like it doesn't necessarily it's a it's a quick fix but how long does it last type of thing um and we're not necessarily sure if Aang has necessarily learned the lesson yet because he then quickly bounces back to oh I can eat now I just wanted to eat like he bounces back to that. Yeah, that that does undercut it. Yeah, so we're not sure necessarily sure if he learned the lesson, and, and you know it. Uh, and not to say that this is not. This is also the fact that this show as a whole is very well written, is very good, and this episode, The Great Divide, among a a good number of other TV shows at the time, is still a great episode of television. Like. Don't get me wrong. I think it's still pretty good. I think it. I think it tells a good lesson. I think you know it does. It does make its point about differences. But I think the resolution isn't as strong as a lot of other episodes. Um, and in context of Avatar: The Last Airbender as a whole, it is its weakest point. It is the lowest, and, and I'm not alone in thinking this. It, I, it is the lowest rated uh, episode, and it, it went uh, the. It did not go unnoticed by the creators, <laughs> or by the writers, uh, because in the uh, bottle episode, in all the way at the end of the series, when they do a basically a uh, retelling of the story up until that point, they have the characters flying over the Great Divide. They're like, oh, that's the Great Divide. Should we stop there? And the rest of the characters go, nah, it just wasn't worth it to delve into that. So those are some of the arguments for laying them out there. But you have helped me, Colton, understand why I might be as harsh on this episode as I am today. Well, I think... I think you should definitely include it on your future rewatches instead of skipping it. And I think in those future rewatches, maybe, you know, with the understanding that this show is really solid and really strong in general, like, I think there's something to be said for if something is not good, we, we, it, it's nice to recognize it as not as good as everything else. Mm -hmm. But I think there's also something to be said for giving it the benefit of the doubt and 
maybe going into it saying, the rest of this series is so fantastic. What is it that I am missing that makes this episode fantastic? And I will say I did try to go into this episode with not, you know, as much as I said at the end of last episode, oh, the Great Divide, um, because I was dreading it. I rewatched it and I tried to rewatch it with fresh eyes of, okay, what is hitting me about this episode in the moment? Not as, you know, going back and thinking about it. What is hitting me in the moment? So, you know, uh, the realness of, well, they were going to do it and they thought we were going to do it. The realness of that was very human to me and I enjoyed that and I enjoyed the music and Aang's journey and his frustration and his boiling point and I think we're starting to learn that Aang can have a bit of a temper even without going into it's not just the avatar state that's kicking in his temper that Aang himself can have a temper I mean you don't feed me for a day I get pretty cranky too (laughs) (laughs) and if people are constantly bickering yeah they're hangry yeah well they're not hangry they ate they ate one meal. There's, you can be hangry. You can eat and be hangry. It's, it's okay. I give you permission. <laughs> Join me. Eat and be hangry. <laughs> but yeah, I think Aang may not have learned the lesson that you wanted him to learn. But I do think he learned a lesson. And I do think he learned that, you know, sometimes in conflict resolution, it's not just about satisfying the need or finding the easy compromise. Sometimes it's about going deeper, going to that foundational disconnect that is happening and trying to address that. And sure, he he lied his way through this one, but they had somewhere to be. There is a ticking clock, and they were out of danger at that point. So yeah, he lied his way out of it. But I submit at the start of the episode, he would not have been able to lie his way out of it because he did not recognize the way to solve the problem. I don't think he understood why the problem even existed, honestly. I mean, he's such a he's such a wholesome, like, cinnamon bun of of a character. Like, I don't think he understood why. I mean, he barely understood why the Fire Nation would be bad. Like, he didn't understand that when he got out of that iceberg. Yeah, and I think I think his own worldview has deepened a bit. That's not to say that lying was necessarily the best choice, but I think the fact that he did lie about what he did to fix the problem demonstrates an understanding of conflict resolution on a level that he did not have at the beginning. I'm going to want to revisit that idea when we get to the episode where Aang is put on trial for Kiyoshi's crimes. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I I when we get to that episode, I I want to I want to I want to revisit this point. I think you have made a you've done a good job of helping me give space and credit to the great divide. And I want to I want to see where some of those points from the great divide maybe some of those lessons are learned in that particular episode. So, I'm starting to make a connection. So, that's so that's the one I'm thinking of. I think we have some time. That episode is pretty late. Yeah, that is book two. <laughs> it is book two, episode five. <laughs> so it'll be a while, but I think it's worth it. I think it's worth 
thinking about that. And I think honestly, like this is might be a new thing for us to keep track of as we go forward with the show. Like how does Aang tackle problems and how does he, how does he find ways to, to mediate between two different groups? I hope he thinks like a mad genius when he does. Thank you for listening to the pie show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 11. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at The Pie Show or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you think about The Great Divide. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Do you maybe want to rewatch it now and think about it in a maybe little dip bit of a different light? I hope so. I don't want to rewatch it, but I will think about it going forward. <laughs> I want you to watch this episode twice in one week. Oh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ain't nobody got the time for that. <laughs>